0: Welcome to Right Wing Dharma Squad's episode 27, discussing secular, kind of have the uh, sneer quotes, Buddhism. Uh, Hi, I I am your host, Dharmakirti, joined by the squad of Kagyu, Storm, and Aura, if you guys want to say hi. Hey. Hey,
1: everyone. Hello.
0: And yeah, so I thought we would just kick it off. I wanted to... um, hand it right off to kagu uh, mix it up a bit and uh, see see what you had to say I think um, you're the only other person here who had even heard of uh, Stephen Batchelor before we cause we were just to let maybe before we do that just very briefly we we're gonna be focusing in particular on this one article by this one guy but I think he's really emblematic of broader trends um, he his name if you're sort of familiar with these with these uh, issues is is really synonymous with this kind of a perspective um but yeah so kagu you had you you had heard of stephen bachelor before is that right
1: i had yeah i mean my understanding of stephen bachelor was not terribly deep but i had heard of him in the same context as sam harris as someone who had been kind of tied to buddhism but simultaneously was also a person who had bought fully into this modernistic trend of like secular materialism as a philosophy and was kind of working on a synthesis between how can we make buddhism work together with scientific materialism and uh, basically strip out anything metaphysical or transcendent to try and make this work
0: and had you read any of his books or i never
1: had no i just was i just was kind of familiar with him in just like in broad terms
0: um and and you aura and storm you hadn't ever like you were like who is this guy and why are we looking at this
2: oh no i i knew him i have his oh, okay. book from a long time ago i don't know where i got it i didn't buy it but i think someone that i used to know must have left it somewhere potentially in my college dorm room uh, <laughs> but yeah i did i did read the book and i was like
0: the, I, the, know, the, the book being I, uh, what is it buddhism without beliefs I, buddhism is, without beliefs yeah that's that's, right, his, yeah. that's his most famous uh, he has apparently some other books um also part of the reason why in addition to just like not wanting to slog through this stuff that's frankly quite dumb uh, and not wanting to give him money. This, this article is basically—it's just as much of a encapsulation. I mean, you don't really need more than ten pages. No, you do need... Like, yeah. yeah. No, this, Sorry. And
1: if if this is it's, any indication, it's full of, of beliefs. <laughs> if anybody's curious. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> well, in particular, from a, I think it goes well with our study so far in Nagarjuna because you know in a very similar way to that you know Nagarjuna is exposing all the kind of hidden presuppositions and how you know, someone who thinks that they're just, I'm just talking about stuff the way they are, you know, and in a very kind of normal, you know, common sense perspective. There's actually a whole bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes there. Um, th- likewise, I, I think you're quite right, Storm, to point out that, that there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes here that he's just trying to play, you know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain with.
2: Can I do uh, Nagarjuna Jr. real quick? Oh, I would love while, to. why while you're yeah, mentioning it. Okay, yeah. so Stephen Bachelor is a materialist. So being a materialist, that means that, there is a thing um, called existence, and it inherently has the property of being material. How can that be? How can it have the property of being material when everything is empty of self-essence and dependent on everything else uh, for its existence, right? How can that happen? There would be no actual thing which could hold the property of being material. And if it was material, it would be material based on a dependence, it could not be inherently material. And still have a place within buddhist thought so it's pretty much you know the idea of materialism is if it means anything which these people intend it to mean something it's completely incompatible with buddhism because it implies an essence it implies a property holder with an essence and that essence is to be material and yet we are aware of immaterial things as well so there you go i
0: yeah, and and while that, I mean, I think that deserves. I think some some people are gonna be like, huh, and uh, it, it, you may want to you know rewind and listen to that again and think about it, particularly if you've been following along with our series on the Mula Madhyama Gacatika. What I, I noticed, there's someone in the chat. I want to shout out to Fashi White so who says he's just got turned into this from the Third Rail. I did plug this on uh, the most recent Third Rail, <laughs> and uh, I want to say for our for anyone who's listening in for the first time um, and who's who's interested. In these topics, are coming at it from um, the more kind of general political discourse, I think I want to—I I do want to say at the outset here that while you know th- this show is—you know—we're most concerned with with Buddhism from a kind of right wing perspective and exploring the ways in which these interact and and how that all works. Um, I think th- there's a structural similarity in terms of um, where people are coming from or what the issues that people have are. Specifically, uh, specifically with regard to this issue of like, what is um, like, what what is secular Buddhism? Why are people pushing this idea of a secular Buddhism? Like, where is the desire for secular Buddhism coming from? Like, who ordered this and why? And and I think like part of what I what I want to get at here is that there's a direct connection to the kind of leftist worldview that what's going on here, the reason why he is concerned in this way, the reason why he's engaging in this project, is because fundamental to the materialistic worldview is a rejection of, you could say, God. Obviously, from a Buddhist perspective, it's not that we necessarily... The word God gets problematic, but hierarchy, nature, the nature of reality. The idea that there is an ultimate truth, there is an ultimate nature of reality, and that for exalted beings, you know, saints or bodhisattvas or whatever, that it is possible to know, directly know the nature of reality as it really is. There's, it's funny because long before I would have identified myself as, you know, a right winger or dissident or whatever you want to call it, you know, my whole life, it's, it's, I, it's always just been very clear to me that there is an ultimate nature of reality and um, that it is knowable, maybe not, Certainly not in conceptual terms. It's it's beyond thought and language. But but there is such a thing as the way things really are in their true nature, and that this is this is something that we can know in some way. That there are beings, even if, if not me myself, because I'm flawed and I have all these problems, etc. That that there are you know beings, um, saints and great you know masters and 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 you know Jesus or whoever who, in in some very deep and very profound and very direct way, have access to that. To, to, to that knowledge, and leftism, as I understand it, is really predicated on the idea that um, that that's not the case. That that you know we're all kind of it, it's this crabs in. I say I said this on the third rail. I'll say it again. It's the crabs in a bucket mentality. That we're all down here in the muck, and there's no point trying to escape. And you know maybe we can sort of make the muck a little better. That's sort of ultimately where he ends up with this. Is you know we can sort of try to make the bottom of the the bucket, the muck at the bottom, like a little bit more comfortable. But there is no escape, there is no way to escape, there is no, so just give up any thought of that, give up any thought of trying to get out the bucket or being a better crab, et cetera. And uh, you know, th- that's just so fundamentally at odds both with the way things really are and with like ultimately I think a sane political program um, which would have to come out of the recognition that there is a natural hierarchy, that there are you know um, saints and so on and that we should give them respect. And and, and etc. and and so that's where I, I really see the connection. To me, I mean, I, I I see my projects as all kind of on a continuum, and I see you know um, our politics and the politics of the third rail and things like this very much in continuity with a strong and unequivocal rejection of this kind of secular Buddhism and this attempt to like make Buddhism into a secular thing because it is that is an attempt to make to like basically just gut kill Buddhism, gut it, you know, wear it as a skin suit over left wing social justice politics of lowest common denominator that was a bit of a rant but i, I did want to highlight that
2: there's also kind that of just rant, like inherently uh some right-wing things about buddhism because even like exoterically like in the layman's understanding of buddhism that you're sort of wherever you are you're kind of supposed to be there your karma has brought you to that point and awakening whether it happens to you or not is 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 perfectly fair um it's a perfectly fair system where you get it if you've done x to get it and if you haven't you don't Um, so there's no room for like any kind of intersectionality there's no oppression dynamics there's no special cases it's just a perfectly fair system, well, yeah, that's based I, on objective reality. <laughs> I right? was going
0: to say something the other on you know Twitter the other day, uh, and I forget who responded. I, I said uh, I said basically like you know th- this um, you know this bad stuff has always happened to, you know this bad thing happened to us, and bad stuff has always been happening to us, and therefore you have to let us control your society forever and ever, uh, you know obviously in reference to, to certain friends of ours that are in control of our society, and. And someone responded, it's like, and what would, you know, what would the Buddha say about bad stuff always happening to you? And that's exactly right, is, you know, the, one of the issues here is, like, it's not, it's not about victim blaming. I mean, that, that puts a level of agency that's just really not even, it's not what it's about. But the point is, you know, if if it is true from a Buddhist perspective, suffering and bad um, experiences are the result of our own, negative actions it's it's the result of things we've done in the past and, and we're experiencing the fruit of those causes the results of those causes so you know if, if there's if and the there's reason a reason
3: that's and the reason that's go ahead
0: no 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 please go on
3: uh, no, I want to let you finish. <laughs> I, I was
0: just going to say, like, if, if someone's always complaining about... I mean, you can see this, in, I think, in our day-to-day lives. Like, forget the kind of political perspective for a second. If you see someone that's always saying, like, oh, why did this thing happen? All oh, bad shit's always happening. Always bad... I mean, like, you know, first of all, those people don't tend to be very pleasant, in my experience. But beyond that, it's like, you know, if you hang around them long enough, if you're unfortunate enough to have to, or for whatever reason, you're kind of stuck with them... um you know typically in my experience you'll, you'll be able to identify well there's you know certain kind of patterns of behavior that you engage in that lead predictably over and over and over again to the same result Now, obviously that's true of ourselves as well and i'm, I'm not saying by any stretch that i don't have my own you know habitual patterns that i'm stuck into that i keep ending up with the same you know I, i'm i am not anyone special i'm just saying that like you know we can we, so much of the heart of buddhism is this relationship between cause and effect that's really at the heart of it and to say that like oh well i keep experiencing this bad effect but it has absolutely nothing to do with any like bad cause any bad input that i'm putting into the system that just doesn't pass the bullshit test what were you gonna say
3: well i was gonna say that um you know the flip side i first of all hallelujah to your rant i totally agree um and also to what storm was saying (laughs) all of you guys you're just so smart Wow. Um, but what I was going to say to that last little bit there, DK, was that, you know, the flip side that it almost frustrates me that it, it gets ignored so much. The flip side too that, if you're suffering, it's because you're the author of your own actions, your own karma. Right. Is that what the Buddha taught was that you can author your own happiness, too. Like you you just if by choosing the right actions and, uh, you know, the right mental karmas and everything, um, you can liberate yourself and you can not only like feel good on the path on the way there which by the way is what steven bachelors is talking about in this article but actually you can you can achieve you know true awakening and total liberation and you know peace and happiness beyond anything that you can imagine in the current state um and so it's you know like you said it's not victim blaming exactly it's not victim blaming there's no point uh there's no point to victim blaming it doesn't get anywhere but yeah if somebody's bitching and moaning all the time then you know not only are they missing the point but it's like they're missing an opportunity right every every moment of every day i'm gonna sound cheesy saying this stuff but it's like as an opportunity to actually pave the way for uh future happiness and even present happiness so
2: well, you're constantly creating your own karma and you're constantly witness to this to this process so there's literally at any moment you can notice that and take ownership of it
0: yeah okay so do we want to well the first thing and I, again i don't want to i don't want to dunk necessarily on bachelor himself too hard mostly because he doesn't deserve it mostly because he's just a nobody but sorry yes
1: don't want to dunk on him too hard is that in spite of what he said or as i said
0: it's mostly it's mostly yeah well
3: <laughs> kagi's like why not
0: <laughs> because it's not about because making it about it's not about him right it's it's about yeah, i mean he yeah. he he is a the representative are really the problem here I exactly think. that said and and anyone who's listening you know who's watching the live stream or, or you know sees the video on my youtube channel later you'll notice um he, he uh so in this uh, article that he that we're reading that he published in some journal apparently called Global Buddhism or I don't even know, um, he lists himself as an independent scholar and his email address is I shit you not, agnostic at club dash internet dot agnostic at club dash internet or hyphen internet uh, dot fr now. Again, it's sort of like I mean, I don't want to dwell on this necessarily too much because it's kind of beside the point, but I am just trying to try to imagine yourself like having so much of your personal identity wrapped up in this idea of like I'm an agnostic. <laughs> right? Yes. Like it um, it's,
3: it's YouTube atheism tier, really. Yes. I mean, that's amazing. What were you going to say or? So I I will I will maybe i'll pave the way for us to do a little bit of dunking by starting (laughs) with um a few positive words okay okay so i didn't know anything about this guy at the very beginning you're like oh kagu had heard of him storm you read his book i i may have heard his name before maybe just from you guys but i essentially i had no idea who this guy was um the name ring a bell i guess and uh this article that we're reading is the only thing i've read of his after reading the article making my comments i checked out uh his biography on wikipedia just to get a little idea about him i will say this he writes clearly um he does i mean he uses a lot of muddled ideas and he uh you know he he's he's an a1 smuggler in terms of smuggling in unassumed uh unlooked at presuppositions but uh so he's not clear in that sense but he's clear in the sense that his sentence to sentence reasoning is easy to follow um he does seem to have a little bit of sense of humor about himself and i was surprised to learn from his wikipedia page because his article makes him seem like such a dilettante i was saying this before we started recording i just sort of assumed he's one of these guys who like picked it up for three years and then started setting himself up as a teacher but according to his wikipedia page he like from age 18 was like wandering asia and studying going to these various teachers and stuff now that of course does not mean that he got the right idea or he's studying with the right teachers or anything but it does at least show you know a kind of commitment to taking this stuff seriously. At well, least this is more
0: serious. Way. He he is clearly a more serious person than, I don't even remember a dude's name who was like, yeah, if you like, oh, yeah. jer- if you like jerk <laughs> off mindfully and then like, you could have a mindful threesome, <laughs> like, right. Like th- th- clearly, like if you, if for those yeah. of you who may not again, know what we're talking about, you can check out our California Dharma episode, which is a similar kind of, you know, case study in um, ridiculous things that are sort of misrepresenting themselves as being Buddhist. Now, again, to his credit, Stephen Batchelor, on the one hand, is more serious and more grounded in the actual Buddhist tradition, and on the other hand, is um, more willing to sort of acknowledge that what he's doing, you know, actual practicing Buddhists who understand Buddhism in traditional terms, I would, I mean, just accurate terms, I would say, uh, you know, would have a problem with what he's saying, would sort of themselves say, well, that's whatever it is you're doing, Mr. Batchelor, that's not Buddhism, but he but he sort of um, is willing to grant that much more so than than these kind of California Dharma uh, morons. Um, so that that is something to keep in mind for sure.
2: He's kind of weirdly like more of a pretender but claiming to be less of one <laughs> or hold on. Maybe he's he's doing it less than they are, but he's more honest about it. That's what I mean.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: I mean, like his whole thing is he'll reference things back to the the texts and then promptly smuggle in a bunch of other ideas to try and muddle it and make it, remake it in whatever image he wants. Whereas the California Dharma, they don't even bother.
0: Let's get into the, uh, the, exactly, on that point, The the, this is a great point. to Let's read the abstract to this because I think it's sort of, um, again, it's an abstract, encapsulates the whole thing. So he says, this essay explores the possibility of a complete Secular redefinition of Buddhism. It argues that such a secular reformation would go beyond modifying a traditional Buddhist school, practice, or ideology to make it more compatible with modernity. Now, again, there's a lot going on there, but we'll get into that in a second. But would involve rethinking the core ideas on which the very notion of quote unquote Buddhism is based. Starting with a critical reading of the Four Noble Truths, which we're going to skip over because it's just retarded. I mean his thing there is just a dozen a Critical reading. Yeah, well it's, it's not, a, but the thing is it's not a critical reading and that, I'll, we'll get into yeah, that. I know. I, mean, I know. As presented in the Buddha's First Discourse, the author proposes that instead of thinking of awakening in terms of quote unquote truths to be understood, one thinks of it in terms of quote unquote tasks to be accomplished
2: retarded
0: i mean it just doesn't even right such a such a pragmatic approach may open up the possibility of going beyond the belief-based metaphysics of classical indian soteriology buddhism 1.0 the
2: whole fucking point of those metaphysics is that they're not belief-based the whole point of them is acknowledging that it's all conventional
0: to a practice-based post-metaphysical vision of the dharma buddhism 2.0 now what is a, blo- I mean, so 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 part of what's going on here, and I don't wanna dwell on this too much because it's it's almost outside the scope, or maybe it's something we could talk about, and I don't know, I'll have to think about it, how to talk about this, because it, but, but a big part of what's going on here is, I, I don't, without, you know, having studied his thought in depth, which I'm just not going to do, um, I suspect that Bachelor is coming out of the world of academic philosophy, and in like the universities in the United States, and to a lesser extent Europe, but especially, well, mainly the United States and and the UK, like, when you're talking about philosophy, and, and in particular when you're talking about epistemology, the study of knowledge, so much of that has to do with, like, beliefs. And, and there's a really strong emphasis on the idea that... um you know what is knowledge it, it, it's some kind of belief now we can say that it's a justified true belief or that it's just a true belief whether or not it's correctly justified or how do we ju- i mean there's all kinds of really just stupid arguments that don't have anything to do with anything but the point is this idea of like belief like from from a just to, just to be clear on this from a buddhist perspective like when you're talking about a belief what you're talking about is a concept Right, you're talking about like a mental construction that's just sort of like an idea in your head that you've you've made. You know, it can be more or less refined. It can it can be um, more or less useful in certain regards, but all it is fundamentally is 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 a is a thing that exists in your mind. Um, that that actually, when you get right down to it, doesn't act, doesn't have any direct connection to reality even like forget the like what I was talking about before like the ultimate nature of reality as such like when you're looking at like we've discussed this before in this program but but just to kind of reiterate when you're looking at a table right like the when you say like that is a table that is a certain kind of belief that is a certain kind of idea in your head the the t- insofar as there is a real thing there that is the table what, what it is is the particles that make up the table we can say this I mean that's the the ultimate irony here is is he doesn't even get the science right because from a scientific perspective, when you're talking about, like, a table, what you're talking about are particles that are arranged in a certain way that you can conventionally interact with and say, like, oh, that's a table. But but the reality of the table in terms of these table particles, the particles that make up the table, like, your belief about this being a table or not being a table or how big of a table it is or whatever, like, that's just an idea in your mind. That's not directly connected to the actual particles that are making up the table. So in this exact way, like, when when, he, when he's talking about beliefs, or all these all these all these idiots are so concerned about, you know, well, well that's you just, it's just your, your belief, man. You just like believe in karma. And it's like, well, no. I mean, you're, from a Buddhist perspective, and this is, and I challenge any of the, and not that anyone's necessarily listening, but in case you are, or someone's interested in taking this up, I challenge anyone of you to explain like how your, how your idea of the table as being a table, in fact, as being real at all, is any, any less of a belief than my quote-unquote belief in reincarnation or karma. And, and I, gar- I can just tell you, I'm going to win that debate. Like, I, know, I know your moves, and they're all stupid.
2: it's important to talk about here because that type of reasoning about like, we're like you're, you're deconstructing uh, our concept of the table based on the arbitrariness of the lines we draw out around something and call it a table, right? Yeah, the, the idea that we're this thing, which is a table and calling it a table and we all agree based on our culture and conditioning about that so just because it is constructed conventionally it can be more or less accurately reflective of the phenomenal reality we all experience like we all experience this table in a certain way so our concept of what a table is should accurately represent that it's conventionally correct right just because it's a concept doesn't mean that the thing we're pointing at and calling a table isn't there or doesn't exist. Like, I don't, I mean, your concept of fire is conventionally constructed in the same way. Go stick your hands in fire. You exactly. should deny that yeah. fire is a phenomenon, then go stick your hands in it, right?
0: But the fire, that's the point, is the fire burns. Whether or not you haven't, b- whether or not you believe that it's fire, whether or not you believe that it's hot, I and mean, all this stuff about like beliefs, it's it's just it all. It's extremely provincial. I mean, it, it tries to again like one of the big picture things going on here is that you know there's this idea of like we've arrived now at the great truth of the 20th century or 21st century where we can acknowledge you know that we know we're beyond belief. But it's like, well, that's just has nothing to do with with what we're talking about. Or you see, yeah, are you so I, okay?
3: I'm here. Go ahead, Kagu.
1: No, because that's actually the big presupposition he's working with here. It's this, this scientific worldview is something specific, and everything that else outside of it is some kind of metaphysics, which he just pushes aside as this category of things that just has no validity just intrinsically. And that's, that's, that's the entire basis of this whole project, that modernity is moving beyond this kind of thing. And, he, and he just, he's just presupposing, this is what we, we have to do now. We have to make Buddhism work within this, this framework that I've decided is legitimate.
0: So let's, that's a great point. Um, and maybe like a good chance to seg you <laughs> uh, into a bit of the article um, properly. I mean, we won't be reading every word because it's, it's not necessary and it's not worth it. but, but just to sort of highlight this, is, again, this is sort of what we're talking about in general terms, uh, and, and we're going to talk about, you know, what the problems with it are. So, he starts by saying, I will be using the term secular in three overlapping senses. Number one, in the popular way the word is used in contemporary media. That is, secular is what is, stands in contrast or opposition to whatever is called, quote, religious, unquote. Uh, number two, I will also be using the term in full consciousness of its etymological roots in the Latin which means, quote, this age, this cycle, this century, this generation. I thus take secular to refer to the, those concerns we have about this world, which he emphasizes, that is, everything that has to do with the quality of our personal, social, and environmental experience of living on this planet. Uh, as an aside, maybe before I get to number three, which kind of doesn't really, I mean, it, it's the part of the reason why he's saying this, you know, if your ears aren't quite as finely attuned as um, mine, Buddhist cosmology is very explicitly, number one predicated on the on the reality of rebirth that is that you know that that there's a continuum of existence that connects our existence as human beings to our existence as other types of beings in other universes in fact so when he's um when he's saying that you know this world right this emphasis on this world and our lived experiences human beings what, what he's implicitly saying here is Um, that, you know, we don't need to bother about all that stuff about like, well, you know, what if you do a bunch of bad stuff and get reborn in hell? Um, because, you know, hell is a very important part of Buddhist cosmology, at least as important as it is in in Christian cosmology. And, you know, you basically end up there in more or less the same ways as you would in Christianity. Um, so, but, but he doesn't want to deal with any of that. Right, he doesn't want to deal with hell. He doesn't want to deal with heaven. He doesn't want to deal with like nicer existences. He doesn't want to deal with alien civilizations in past and future universes and this kind of stuff. Um, that all is just outside of you know. It doesn't it, his uh, kind of n- very narrow provincial worldview, myopic worldview as a as a citizen of 21st century America, um, and so he's trying to exclude that from the conversation. Uh, And then he says, three, I understand the term and it's that is the term secular in its Western historical political sense is referring to the transfer of authority over a certain area of life from the church to the temporal power of the state. this is a large-scale and long-term process of secularization that is gradually transforming the world of our culture as the religious realm slowly contracts until eventually the majority of the population can do, can can and do live almost their entire lives without giving religion a thought. Now, I, okay,
3: this yeah, is, please please let me hit this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Park. Do it. I know. I know you got it. Fa- I know you got it. It's it's a fat fastball down the middle of the plate, and I know you would love to hit it, but I just I do love it. to hit it so. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is <laughs> most of majority of the population can and do live almost their entire lives without giving religion a thought. Well, of course, the the sort of right wing thought 101, of course, is that this secular uh, leftism is a religion. It is a set of me- metaphysical beliefs uh, it, it, that <laughs> in contrast with these Buddhists uh, is totally unexamined for the most part. Uh, it's completely taken the 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 place of what he thinks of as religion, right? He thinks it's like these mean guys with like stern faces who don't like have sex enough, or who like live in you know, and they tell everybody else what to do. He has this extremely like sophomore year of high school idea, like who doesn't want to go to church on Sunday because he's <laughs> mad at his mom. Yeah, like that's that's what he thinks of as as what religion is, and he's going to use that 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 characterization of of religion and religiosity or whatever you want to call it throughout this essay and right off the bat he's saying like oh well there's a difference between that and us right as secular people we don't have any of those kinds of you know these unexamined prior beliefs we're so much wiser than these people it's yeah it's laughable it's laughable and the other
1: thing i was thinking on he was saying oh in a world where nobody has to think of religious views Hmm, how does that world look? I'm kind of wondering. I mean, hypothetically, if we were to look at a world where nobody thinks of it, would it look kind
3: of like, I don't know, now? Yeah, no one looks at any authentic tradition, not nobody, but very few people look at these traditional, authentic traditions, right? But they do think all the time, how how can I be woke? How can I, you know, how can I signal the right way? How can I make sure that I, I subscribe to the church of leftism even better than my neighbors do, right? So they are actually, in that sense, totally obsessed with their weird secular religion but they don't you know they don't look at anything with a a tradition or any sort of sound moral foundation
0: well this is why i thought it was so important to and i'll reiterate the um the crab in a bucket mentality right because basically i mean in my analysis that i'm keep building and i uh you know think think about i'm trying to refine more and more but i the more i sort of sit with it and and analyze it i really think that you can you can sort of fully account for leftism as a race to the bottom. As an as, as at a kind of narrative level, what's mo- you can you can look at it as a satanic revolt against God, where God is goodness and truth and beauty and order, um, and 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 so there's this this very kind of teenage adolescent rejection of you know external authority. Um, and this can take many shapes, but in terms of like the to the extent that there is a definite or or intended kind of end game to that process it's it's the obliteration of all distinctions. you know we see this in in this kind of attempted glorification of just disgusting fat, ugly people and and saying like, oh well, you you know the idea of like beauty right is is patriarchal heteronormative whatever and 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 so this idea that we're going to obliterate the distinctions between beautiful people and ugly people or fat people and 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 you know normal people um and and we're going to try to say that what is ugly is beautiful it's more beautiful than what's beautiful or there you know it's simultaneously equal and superior because it's you know been marginalized and therefore it's better than what's at the center etc and this kind of um, this kind of mindset is is really um, pernicious and 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 needs to be called out and needs to be seen for what it is so yeah when we're talking about all this stuff it, it, it's the idea that we like when, when you're talking when you're analyzing leftism as a religion which I mean again you you hit that you hit that fastball out of the park the, the point is um, or one I think one of the key things to keep in mind it's not the only point is uh, it it's it's the idea that there is no escape. It's the church of no salvation. That's why there's so much focus on things like white privilege. That's why there's so much focus yeah. on you know like all you can ever do is 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 debase yourself to the point where you are, it's self obliteration because there is no salvation, there is no escape, there is no nirvana, there is no you know theosis, there is no there is nothing. There's just yeah. this shit.
3: The religion of anti religion. Yeah. yeah, and I always think of it as
0: an yeah.
1: inversion of like the traditional values that define all of the world's like actual traditional religions like if you think of like you give the example of like disgusting fat and horrific people in place of physical beauty or think of like modern architecture in contrast to classical architecture or how modern art is like this glorification of the ugly it's like the inversion of the older values with the idea of just of 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 unmaking it or creating this world that is defined by ugliness is like this counter tradition
0: and that's what makes it satanic I mean just to kind of yes. round that thought out is is the essence of Satanism is the inversion of the divine order and so the el- the elevation of what is low to what is high and the reduction of what is high to what is low in itself not i mean cuz you know you can say well, well what about the first shall be last and the last shall be first yeah but that is a reflection of the the point is that when jesus says that that's a reflection of the divine order that you know that that it, it you can't our normal worldly order doesn't necessarily reflect the actual divine order but there is an actual divine order and and what, what makes something satanic is that it inverts it precisely in this way in terms of um, you know, saying, well, acknowledging in a sense that there is goodness and there is truth and there is beauty, but we're going to put that, we're going to shove that in the bottom. We're going to relegate it, you know, to the bottom of the muck. And we're going to, you know, to the, to the, on the one hand, kind of everything, we're going to obliterate the distinction between ugliness and beauty. And on the other hand, simultaneously with that, we're going to take what's ugly. We're going to say, no, this is actually beautiful. And if you think, if you think otherwise, then there's something wrong with you. And that's what's going on in our society today.
3: You know, one of the 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 uh, the scientism of this piece is really part of what blows me away about it, and I just want to. This is jumping out of order. Yeah, no, no the, go the go for it, go for it. There. but he so he it's it's in that abstract too. He talks about Buddhism 1.0 and Buddhism 2.0, and you know, I was already just dis- I was already predisposed to uh, not have a very charitable reading of this just because of the context in which we brought it up um, in our group DM, guys. So I knew I kind of knew I was gonna like this just based on what you you all were saying. However, I was. <laughs> it took me about two pages when he got into that thing. He's like, you know, if you think about it, religion's a lot like hardware, and then there's software you put on top of it. And it used to be Buddhism 1.0, but now I'm gonna make Buddhism 2.0. I was like, oh my god, that's so fucking stupid. Um, He's like, you know, because computers are just like what smart people talk about, you know. So uh, yeah, he, I'm gonna uh, use. The he he t- says oh, it's really a, that's the for, essence of his claim. Yeah,
1: he compares hey, like, the a, four noble truths to like the the four base yeah, pairs he, of DNA. Yeah, and rearrange yes. them. It's like oh, yes,
3: God. yeah. He talked he, he points out like a, a linguistic thing, which I'd be interested, uh, DK, I don't know if you know anything about this. What I'll get, I want to hear what you take on that Norman guy. But he's like. So set that's just set it up as saying instead of calling them four noble truths, it's really just four. And you know what else is four? The nucleobases of, of of you know, C G A and T that make up DNA. So it's it's a lot like nucleic acid, man. You know, I'm like, oh my god, like <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying not trying to dunk. It's the paper that's stupid, okay?
2: Well, I wanna say something real quick, and it's that like what his ostensible motivation with creating this shit is to kind of get away from anything that could be taken as religious, okay? And so if we think of the quote-unquote religious as things that are believed based on faith, right? That's the root of religion is faith-based belief, okay? So what he's done is he's essentially recreated Zen, but he's made it like gay Reddit science style, (laughs) okay? Because there's no doctrine in Zen. All there is... It's a special transmission outside the scriptures, directly seeing into yourself, nature, outside words and letters. Right? That's what it is. You are none. None of that matters. You're going to get there by seeing it for yourself. No religious belief are is involved in that. Right? But you also don't lose the deepest essence of what Buddhism is outside of concepts and talking about things and stuff like that. Right? It's what happened when the Buddha held up the flower and Mahakasyapa recognized in that moment the dharmada the tathata right that's what he saw you can get to that too without any of the shit bachelor is afraid of and you do that by studying zen or maybe no, i don't
3: i don't know man because I, he would you said you said true self essence you said some things that you know that may not be doctrine what? and scriptures and stuff and but he's saying like oh but what is truth what is essence you know who, how, how you know this is all religious talk
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, people like that, what, what can you do? I mean, I, if I'm going to say anything, right, I've got to use words. Whereas if you took Bachelor um, to Yunmin's Mountain, what's going to happen to him? He's going to get smacked in the fucking mouth over and over until he stops doing that. And then maybe he can calm down um, his kind of disgust reaction to the inherent sacred sacredness and beauty uh, that the world has. When you step out of your own way and just apprehend the truth of the suchness as it is, right? Uh, Maybe if he can stop being afraid of that and let go of all his little uh, anti-beliefs that are actually beliefs, maybe if he he can be smacked in the face with a staff enough to the point where he has that moment, right? Then, like, Bachelor can't throw away words like true self-essence and awakening because he hasn't seen that yet. Zen masters can throw those words away because they don't need them to get you there. Does that make sense? Yeah, of that's course. Why. I mean, to me, it makes sense
0: yeah. to right. me. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep.
2: So I just want to make sure I say that. Like, so, kind
0: of so fired you, up. because since we're kind of no, I mean, this this is extremely rustling to anyone. I mean, I, oh, I should say, you I know, was
3: fully rustled by this.
0: Well, th- so when I first encountered this a long time ago, it was extremely rustling. Now I'm, you know, I'm reading this and I just find I'm mostly laughing. It's just kind of humorous because it's like, you know, like. It, it's too silly, and I'm and I'm so over it that I just don't even, you know. And and maybe that's not necessarily like the best reaction, just because there are, I guess, people who take this. I, I actually wonder. I, I don't know how many people take this seriously. Like who Who really wants this? Like, I mean, I guess there must be some. I don't know amount of I, people, know, but I think the, things like this seem. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah.
3: Seriously, think things like this don't seem. Whether or not it's intended this way, the function of, of texts like this. Is not for people to take them seriously, but to give them an excuse to not take things seriously. Yeah. and to just sort of read this and go, "Huh, that's really that's really cool." If you think about it, it's like peptides and computers and shit. So, so and, let then, me, yeah. and then to just move on to Netflix, you know.
0: So well, there's a bit I'm having a bit highlighted here about beliefs, and, and we can get into this and in the the software analogy. But but since you brought it up, I think this is, will be a good kind of um, way to kind of expose how. Um, flawed his method is here so he says if, if any doctrine can be regarded as seminal to the buddha's dispensation it would be that of the four noble truths as enunciated in the first discourse believed to be have been delivered in the deer park in sarnath not long after his awakening in bodhgaya uh, yet when we read this text in the form it has come down to us It would appear to be firmly rooted in the soteriology of Buddhism 1.0. Soteriology is a fancy word. It means like the vision of achieving the final result of nirvana. Um, The suffering of birth, sickness, aging, and death. The first noble truth originates in craving. The second noble truth, only by bringing this craving to a stop through the experience of nirvana. The third noble truth will the suffering that craving causes likewise come to an end. And the only way to realize this final deliverance from suffering is by practicing the Noble Eightfold Path, the Fourth Noble Truth. The end of suffering, therefore, is only attainable by ending the craving that drives the cycle of rebirth. Indeed, the Buddha declares toward the conclusion of the sermon that, quote, this is the last birth he meant for him. Himself, the Buddha Himself. As long as one remains in this world as an embodied creature, the most one can achieve is a certain mitigation of suffering. That's not quite true, but uh, for suffering truly to cease, one must stop the process of rebirth altogether. That is true, and that's actually a fairly accurate rundown of the Four Noble Truths in like classical, correct, orthodox Buddhism. Um, now he says such a reading of the discourse would seem to leave little, if any, room for a secular interpretation of the text. Correct. For this world of birth, sickness, aging, and death that constitutes our not uh, is precisely what needs to be brought to an end if we are ever to achieve a genuine salvation or liberation. Orthodox Buddhism shows itself here to be thoroughly committed to the Indian ascetic tradition, which regards life in this world as beyond salvation and to be renounced. It's not, I mean, almost, not whatever. The the principal virtue of human existence is that in the course of the interminable round of rebirths, it is the most favorable state in which to be born because it provides the best conditions for escaping rebirth altogether. Correct. And this is not just the view of, quote, Hinayana Buddhism. The Mahayana traditions say exactly the same. The only difference being that the compassionate Bodhisattva renounces his or her final liberation from rebirth until all other sentient beings have achieved it first. Again, this is all a pretty accurate rundown. There's a little quibbles, but whatever. Now, here's where the, like, the really... This is where the problem is and we'll just just get into this. He says, on a closer analysis of this discourse, however, certain incongruities appear in the fabric of the text. The first discourse cannot be treated as a verbatim transcript of what the Buddha taught in the Deer Park, but is a document that has evolved over an unspecified period of time until it reached the form in which it is found today in the canons of the different Buddhist schools at this point modern historical critical scholarship comes to our aid as a means of upsetting some of the time honored views of Buddhist orthodoxy now this is just retarded like nobody i don't even i mean the idea that like you're you're achieving some provo- profound insight because you're like oh well you it's not like it's a verbatim transcript it like n-
3: like no one's ever... No one...
0: But yeah, like that's not a thing that's ever really been... And, and, and to the extent that there might have been, you know, some number of people historically that may have thought that, it like doesn't really... Like, that's not the point. It's the the, the, the the truth or falsity of the sutras, the the value of the sutras, the sutta, Suttas, it's the same word in pali, like that doesn't rest on whether it's an absolutely verbatim transcript. Every single sutta starts thus have I heard, Avam shrutam maya, right? Like, so it's, it's always already framed within itself as like, yeah, I heard this. Somebody told me this, I heard it, and I'm, you know, writing it down. So like this idea that we're going to, um, you know, now we're going to open this thing. as like, well, it, you know, we have to look at it as like this thing that's evolved. Like, it, you know, this is, this is not the kind of, I don't even, it doesn't, so what? Look okay. at that
3: last sentence, man. At this point, Modern historical yeah. critical scholarship comes to our aid as a means of upsetting some of the time-honored views of Buddhist right. orthodoxy. This is because he's divided the entire world into everybody before modern historical critical That's right. scholarship who were all stupid and never thought very much about it. They just kind of— they just did what they were told, and some assholes made some more stuff up, and everybody else. And no, no smart person ever sat down and thought, hey, what are other ways of looking at this? How can I investigate whether these, these claims are true or false? What if the Buddha's not, you know? <laughs> That's what the whole tradition is is people thinking about it and, and testing it and testing it for themselves and discovering things and teaching it to others. And he seems to honestly believe that nobody until like Stephen Batchelor or like his contemporaries ever 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 was smart enough to really look at it critically it's my It's this is where it goes back to what you're saying at the beginning dk about the about leftism you know about you know what our, our podcast is about together like this is like a such a leftist point of view it's like oh well, in 1962 or whatever year you want to put it on is is the year that mankind first became smart and all of our ideas since then are great and everything that comes from before is just retards who didn't think you know it's unbelievable <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, Stephen it's, it's, Batchelor, if you're listening, read the uh, Mula Mahatmya again. Is that right?
3: That's again, read list. it again. It was British.
0: read it again. Read it again. You know, pay closer attention this time. Yeah. So, so he. This is really the heart of his argument, and it, and it's so well. I'll just read it. People can evaluate it for themselves. So he says the British philologist K. R. Norman is one of the world's foremost experts on what are called. It really means pro, on, on like the language poly, uh, like poly and related languages that are derived from Sanskrit. In a 1992 paper called The Four Noble Truths, Norman offers a detailed philological analysis of this text and arrives at the startling conclusion that the earliest form of the sutta did not include the word Arya sacca, Noble Truth on grammatical and syntactical grounds. He shows how the expression, quote, noble truth, unquote, was inexpertly interpolated into the text at a later date than its original composition. But since no such original text has come down to us, we cannot know what it did say. All that can be reasonably be deduced is that instead of talking about four noble truths, the text merely spoke of four. So this is his slam dunk. This is his slam dunk is the idea that like, OK, well, the text didn't use the word noble truth, the original text as it's according. To, and like I, I don't I'm not in a position to evaluate this Norman's, you know, philological method. I, I you know that it doesn't matter. I'm perfectly willing to grant the premise that, that like when this text first was, you know, the, the earliest versions of the text that we have, or we can put together through like these historical text, critical methods. Okay. It didn't include the phrase noble truth. Arya such. okay. And like the idea that this is going to be, but mean, was like, the
3: text still not all about those four? Right. And, why they're so and, important. and, and
0: exactly. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well maybe they didn't use this nomenclature but does that what what does that have to do with with anything and he tries he says the term noble truth is so much taken for granted that we fail to notice its polemical sectarian and superior tone all religions maintain that what they and they alone teach is both quote noble and quote true this is the kind of rhetoric used in the business of religion so like Religion is, I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. Bro, shut the fuck up. As opposed to
1: Stephen Batchelor's religion of modernity and its associated how we're going to demand that you tolerate our virtue of tolerance. Also, buy my book. Also,
0: also buy my other book. Also sign up for my meditation seminar. But I'm not in the business of religion. That's those, like, benighted, you know, troglodytic Buddhists over there buddhism 1.0 people okay it i had is, the
3: same <laughs> section highlighted it was just it was so, you this is a great yeah keep going it is
0: easy to imagine how over the centuries after the buddha's death his followers as part of the intersectarian one-upmanship of ancient india made increasingly elevated claims so it, he says notice how he uses the word imagine it is easy to imagine it is certainly easy to imagine this mr bachelor like, like no one's claiming that this is anything other than imagination made increasingly elevated claims about the superiority of their teachers' doctrines which resulted in the adoption of the expression quote noble truth to privilege and set apart the dharma from what their competitors taught again this like so he's he's hanging essentially his whole analysis here on the fact that like well the term noble truth or the idea that there is something true and, and again this is okay well let me continue for a second one implications of Norman's discovery is that the Buddha may not have been concerned with questions of truth at all. Now, that is absolutely not an implication. That is something he's just, like, fucking making up. Like, the idea that, okay, well, he didn't use the word, you know, noble truth, therefore the Buddha isn't concerned with the truth. Like, I, I can tell you, you know, I mean, you-, you-, you don't necessarily have to believe me. If you want to do the research, be my guest, but I'm simply informing you that, like, at the, at the heart of... Not only of the Buddhist tradition, but really, like he he kind of refers to this pan-Indian milieu of various different, you know, competing religious traditions, and that's that—that is the reality of the time. It was been the reality of India for thousands of years. One of the central concerns of every single one of these traditions is is what's called yata bhuta darshanat, like the the seeing reality as it is. That's actually kind of a what I was when I was talking earlier about seeing the nature of reality as it is. That's what I was talking about. It's like the Sanskrit phrase for that thing, which is a very important Sanskrit phrase. It's a very important phrase in Tibetan. It's a very important phrase for every kind of Buddhist and not just Buddhist for Jains. Various kinds of Hindus, various kinds of—I mean, everybody in India, in Indian religion, is concerned with seeing the nature of reality as it is. Now, you can like do this jerk-off academic thing of you know masturbatory search for like, well, is there truth or what is truth? Is truth you know correspondence to reality between your beliefs and the thi- like? I don't well, give. He a doesn't
3: f- even do that. He
0: does, of course, not because he's not actually not that smart. He he's firmly in the midwit category. Yeah. But but the point is like, it is simply false. This idea, like the Buddha wasn't concerned with questions of truth. I mean, he he sort of glosses this this ridiculous theory of his in terms of he says um, his awakening may have had little to do with gaining a veridical cognition of reality. Again, that's just completely it's <laughs> it's just like nonsense. Exact opposite. <laughs> right, a privileged understanding that corresponds to the way things actually are. Numerous passages in the canon attest to how the Buddha refused to address the big metaphysical. Que- Notice he never also he never he defines secular. He never defines religious. He never defines metaphysical. So the Buddha refused to address the big metaphysical questions: Is the world eternal? Not eternal? Finite? Infinite? Are the body and the mind the same or different? Does one exist? I'm sorry,
3: I just I have to comment. Please. I have to comment. I'm sorry. I can't. No, no, no. I no I you don't know. have to
0: apologize. Go. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so yeah, he doesn't talk about what's metaphysical. We have made this point before on this show as a positive thing, right? This is where this gets so slippery because he does call out some of the interesting and unique ways of way of ways about how the Buddha taught, right? And it, it's true to a degree that he didn't address cosmological questions, right? Th- these are like, is the world eternal, uh, infinite, finite, right? Um, did he address metaphysical questions? Like, all the time. All the <laughs> like, time. Like well, also, every, like... like so almost entire... every discourse... Every discourse is, like, addressing one or another metaphysical
0: question. These secular... These, like, Sam Harris types and Stephen Batchelor types, like, they love... There's, there's, so there's one passage in particular. It, it happens a couple times, but there's one passage of one sutra in particular where, yeah, like, the Buddha kind of famously... I think it's it's either 12 or, I think, 14 questions. Like, is the world finite or infinite? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and he pointedly kind of refuses, to, he says, well, you know, there's, but but, but elsewhere in the canon, and this is how you know he's an ignoramus, elsewhere in the canon, some of these questions he does answer. He says, you know, well, the world is beginningless and endless, you know, so like it, it like there's this one passage in this one text that 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 these people like latch on to as, you know, because they, they consider it to be evidence of their worldview, where in reality, like exactly is the way you, you're talking about, Aura the thing to understand, especially about the early Buddhist tradition as represented in this like stratum of texts that that, that were, you know, the Pali poly, Canon that we're talking about, the, the Buddha in in that kind of a context is really, really concerned with the problem of suffering in, in a very direct way. And so, yeah, in the context of like, you know, someone who's struggling with really intense lust, really intense hatred, etc., you know, they need to be calmed down in a certain way. They need to be, you know, have it pointed out to them that like, well, you need to kind of get your mind and shape better and, and, you know, work on these things first. And then we can, you know, all this other stuff that's not super relevant right now. It's always a question, in other words, of relevance. It's always a question of like, what is the goal? And the goal is like, if you want to call it metaphysical, I guess you can, but the point is like, again, for the Buddha, there's always in this layer of text there's always like, well, the final goal is final Nirvana is, you know, yes. Bringing the cycle of rebirth to an end, and so if you want to say like you know well yeah in this one place in this one time he refuses to answer whether the world is eternal or not, you can do that, but but that that's because in that time and place that wasn't relevant to helping his you know people who were asking him questions, people who were trying to escape suffering, trying to bring an end to the problem of suffering um, in that moment. That's all. There's there's no like big picture point here as far and, and then again this idea. That like his awakening may have may have had, and then the weasel word may have had. You know, he's saying like, well, there is no such thing as a vertical cognition of reality. All there is is, you know.
2: Okay, ho- hold on one go. second, because I got to make a comment on go. that. So it's clear that Bachelor doesn't want to say that there's such a thing as a a perception of how things really are. Okay, right. yeah, that's what he's disagreeing with. There's no person who sees things how they really are. How else could things be? other than how they are what he is saying is that things are how they are not it is completely <laughs> incoherent okay there is nothing that that <laughs> there's nothing that isn't how it is <laughs> you have to laugh because it's
0: so silly
3: well it's the it's basic so paradox of... that's a, go on go on that's a really good that's a really good point though storm and actually it points out the value of engaging with with texts like this, especially you know, among friends, uh, like-minded people like ourselves, and hopefully um, our listeners, is that you know we can all agree that this is silly. And then when you start to pick about, pick apart why it's silly, like it's specifically where the silliness comes from, you come to revelations like Storm just just shared with us, like which is that, like you're essentially, I, I mean, essentially like, I don't know, it's like luxury nihilism or something. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's anti- <laughs> luxury
0: nihilism. He's, that, if we did say, yeah, that's great that there's
3: no enlightenment and there's no Buddha nature. That's
2: what he's saying. Yeah.
0: Uh, and it's the basic paradox of relativism, right? Like, you know, when you say like, well, everything is relative. It's like, okay, well then you're making an absolute claim. Like there's no like outside yeah. the circle here. Uh, yeah. Kagu, you, you've been, do you have anything you want to put in here or?
1: I mean, really I find the claim that they're making about the, uh, the, the use of the word noble. I mean, to get into something a little bit autistic here. I was under the impression that both the Pali and the Sanskrit texts use that same term and they were composed more or less independently. Sorry, of which other. term? Uh, the term noble uh, for uh, noble No, I noble mean truths. I don't as I
0: said, I I am not an expert in this stuff. I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. And and but and I'm not in a position to evaluate the philological argument. It it may vary. I I mean it is a, it is true that these pro- these texts went um, through a long process of revision that's one of the main reasons why there's so much um, if you ever read like the the polycanon which you know I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people just kind of plow through the whole thing but if you get you know there's a couple nice things in there and it's always nice to I read would. <laughs> sure whatever <laughs> but the point is if you if you ever do you'll notice there's a lot of repetition and most of the you know translations will, like, mark, like, well, here we basically repeat the whole thing again up to the point, but we're not going to do that in the actual printed edition, because then it would be three times as long, um, or more. But but um, part of the reason why there's so much repetition, part of it was because of mnemonic. Originally, these texts were recited and remembered and were not written down, and then they started getting written down at a certain point. Um, and when they started getting written down, but also as part of this kind of process of repetition and, and remembrance, that, um, you know, things kind of get, Added and rephrased, you add over and over and over again. So, and and with some of this stuff, you can, you can, you can both identify sort of where are the what are the texts that are earlier than other texts within like relative to each other within the canon, and then with some of them where you have a distinct manuscript tradition, um, and and a large part of that rests on like because when when something is translated into another language, especially like there's a lot of really great translations into Chinese. Um, so then that's like a kind of snapshot of the text at a certain moment in time. And in a, in a way that's very similar to biblical studies, which is where a lot of these scholarly methods originally developed, um, oftentimes, like for example, with the Greek Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament is a, is a better representation of the what's now called the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament than the Hebrew version that like, that, the, that, the, that the Jews use today. Um, because theirs has been through an additional couple thousand years of um, addition and revision and this kind of you know natural process of, of going through things, whereas the Greek version is like a snapshot in time, and that manuscript tradition was more or less frozen uh, about two thousand years ago. And so you can you can identify like you can identify layers, and you can identify like you know sort of what's earlier and what's later and, and this kind of thing.
1: Th- that's actually interesting important- though. Uh, when you're right. mentioning this, uh, you're mentioning like this the textual criticism as originally being to. De- being used with Christianity with respect to the Bible. I think that, that a lot of serious Christians would agree that tend to be pretty skeptical of that kind of thing because it tends to go together with attempts to, um, do some revisionistic work with Christianity as well. And so that kind of provokes a little bit of attention now that they're turning. That yeah. Well,
0: and, and, and that's, I mean, you gotta be careful. This is why, you know, there, at a certain level, there's no substitute for, um, knowing the languages yourself and and being educated yourself and, and really, you know, being able to do the work yourself because you never know. And, And that is definitely an agenda that's in the background of a lot of this kind of stuff. At the same time, it's like, you know, I think most, First of all, the, the textual record is the textual record. I mean, the historical record is the historical record. Um, and, and there's no getting around that. But that's not to say that it, you know, I, I think there's a, there's an overbroad kind of line that people uh, often draw from like, okay, well, this text, you know, it exhibits, we can identify like points of development to therefore, like, you know, therefore it's not divinely inspired, or therefore it's, you know, we can't actually, you know, we it can mean whatever I want it to mean. And and that, that doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. You know, yeah, like. Yeah, that,
3: that's the, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think Kagyu hits the nail on the head in that, like, this is exactly what Bachelor is doing here. He finds one philologist, apparently, to make one claim about one term in the first discourse, right? And then use, and then su- suggests that that means that, all of his priors uh, are true. And every, and you know, 2,500 years of Buddhism just missed that point, you know what I mean? Like it's it's motivated reasoning, if you can even call it reasoning. I I think that is a stretch in and of itself. But people do this kind of shit all the time these days. Not, you know, obviously not just with Buddhism, but with all kinds of stuff. And this is such a crystal clear example of that kind of, I won't even call it muddled thinking, I would call it like exactly backwards thinking. Or like not wrong thinking. Not even wrong, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, there's nothing there to even respond to really. It's just so out of left field. Um Yeah, I, I think I, we, I, Yeah, please.
3: Well, um well if you want to continue on with this for a minute, I, I just want to say I, I have a, a little I wanted to say something about what his so that's the sort of his diagnosis that we've gone into and what's yeah. wrong with it. Then he has his 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 prescription or his prognosis. I, I agree. Well, would, I
0: was gonna. He has a more wackiness along this line, but we would just be it would just be beating a dead horse at this point. We don't need to. to yeah. do that. I mean, it's just silly what he's.
3: Yeah. yeah so, uh, if I may, I, please, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. But uh, so for our listeners, you know, you'll notice at the very beginning he was talking about Buddhism 1.0, and he's he's got all these extremely flimsy and motivated uh, rationales for doubting or you know for attacking Buddhism 1.0, and then what he wants to you know, teach. Uh, and he, I note that he puts it in a kind of false, modest, falsely modest kind of way. He's like, oh, I don't really know. And then he goes on and says, like, what everybody should be doing with his Buddhism 2.0. And this I found particularly grating because he's essentially, you know, he, he's, he, we talked about therapeutic Buddhism um, in our Call of California Dharma episode. And again, people can go back and listen to that. So he's essentially giving that same sort of thera- therapeutic Buddhism answer mindfulness training and all this stuff and it has all the faults that those other uh those other authors had too but what bugged me is that he (laughs) he's portraying it as if this is something that he came up with and that it's somehow an alternative to buddhism where i would posit that buddhism especially in the theravada tradition is already includes this this is like a part of it. i mean it's a description of part of the Noble Eightfold Path. He's talking about, you know, if you sit quietly and you notice your mental hangups, then you can gradually untangle yourself from them and have more clarity. Yes, exactly. The Buddha taught that n- numerous times and many scholars in, in all the traditions have taught that. So yeah, like, what's your point? And then he says, but we have to stop there. You know, we can't we can't continue with all the rest of the path and the goal of the path and the liberation and everything. And it just bothers me because, yeah for a number of reasons but i mean just just on a recent show whether last week or the week before i was talking about uh how you can fabricate the path right and that you can create jiana out of you know using your aggregates and creating a stable basis for meditation and then using that to gain insight i mean this is i i hope i'm not going out on too much of a limb this is kind of like buddhism 101 or maybe 102 or whatever i mean it's it's pretty basic core stuff to the meditation practice. And he's positing it as if a it's sufficient, which it's not. And B as if somehow like he came up with it, which, um, is just, you know, simply not true.
1: Am I way well, off base? No, it seems like, I mean, he does seem to capture part of it. And I, the thing is he's going, it, the difference here. Is well, there is, I think, within within Buddhism, you can find traditions that tend to put these cosmological or doctrinal questions kind of to the side and just focus on praxis, which is basically what he's defining Buddhism 2.0 as praxis based Buddhism rather than belief based Buddhism. Which is, but the thing is, but he's not saying it's put it aside. He's saying like the cosmological things are not real. Like rebirth doesn't happen. Uh Basically, like let's combine together this praxis with the fi- with the Philosophical presuppositions of materialism, and then just like say, that's it.
3: Yeah. You, at you one take point you to...
2: modern um, sotos in, like modern shitlib sotos in, and then make it even more Reddit, and then that's what he's doing.
3: <laughs> yeah, and one at one point, I can't, I, I didn't, don't think I highlighted this, but at one point he says something along the lines of, um, that you know, when when you get a little release, uh, you know, those little like mini realizations you have in a in a good meditation session starts feeling a little bit of pleasure and we could talk about what it's like first jhana or second jhana or whatever it's not really important but hopefully we've all had that experience from time to time it can often be what keeps you going through the hard times is these little experiences he he makes the claim he's like that's a glimpse of like that's nirvana right there which is like warned at again and again and again in the in the sutras and the teachers that like do not mistake gianna for liberation because they're not the same thing at all and it's just i don't know am i am i getting like too much in inside baseball on these things because it, it really bothers me
0: <laughs> can you boil down what you think the problem is
3: yeah i guess uh, the problem is that um he presents as if like these nice th- okay because the path at least as I, I've been taught it and as I practice it, the path has a lot of really nice therapeutic stuff that happens along the way. And it's supposed to happen and it's it, it's supposed to help you along. That's why it's a path, right? Um, and it, it, you become a better, more peaceful and happier person through the practice of the Dharma and because you're going somewhere, right? But he presents it as if you can either take real doctrine and be like this miserable, you know, what he uses the words like strident and and I don't know what words he uses. Um, yeah, he said yeah, this, str- this, he
0: said strident and uh, whatever. Yeah, the word strident. Yeah, yeah, basically the idea that like insist actually maintain this. This is again how I why I see this as a fundamentally leftist thing. The idea that like there is a truth and we have it, and he finds this extremely distasteful.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I I, I thought of what it is that bothers me. So he 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 presents it as if you can either um take the doctrine seriously and be miserable or you can throw it all aside and and get these nice little pleasures along the way right and i think that could really turn and my argument would be that it's through taking the core doctrine seriously and then practicing that you're going to get these these good results in a in a reliable and um useful way that's going to be beneficial to you and everybody around you and it's like throw it's like using the scent of the meat to throw people in the opposite direction of the meat. I, I don't know how else to put it. I, I think it what I mean is that I think it could actually end up harming a lot of people. Uh, because they're yeah, if you, you think that this, this the good part of Buddhism comes from this like this attitude of his, you're you're not only gonna be wrong, but you're also going to miss that good part of Buddhism. Yeah, I'll stop rephrasing.
0: <laughs> I no, I think that. that's I think that's helpful. I mean, it, it, it's another way of looking at what's going almost, on here.
1: It almost seems like he's kind of. I mean, he seems to be part of the spearhead of transforming Buddhism into a self-help system for people who have to live in pods and eat bugs for a living. And here's how you can make the best of the situation with this mindfulness practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 trying to improve. Uh, Someone. I forget who talks about it as like, you know, you want to, you just trying to, you want to better samsara. Samsara is like the, you know, cyclic existence, the wheel of rebirth and in, in Buddhist, it like the multiverse, you could say. And that's not, that's not what Buddha, first of all, it's a fool's errand. Um, you, you're never going to fix samsara. Samsara exists because of our own ignorance and delusion. It's a product of that. Um, And so to the extent that you can fix samsara, the way we do that is by fixing our own ignorance, fixing our own delusion. Um, You cannot like this is the the, I guess, in a sense, my fundamental critique of all kind of like, you know, this what is this engaged Buddhism or this idea like, oh, I'm a Buddhist, therefore, you know, I'm going to you know, plant a tree and, and, and adopt an African. Like not that, not that, um, you know, planting tree. there's nothing, anything wrong no, with Kermapa, planting. Yeah. Please.
1: Karmapa did say that like, um, I mean, the, the Karmapa did say that certain kinds of environmental activities can be considered a form of life release, but that's just totally a, sort of an autistic aside, look, I guess. G- no,
0: that I, that's a good point. I mean, look, you know, saving beings, helping beings is good and that's meritorious and we need to accumulate merit you know, in in classical, Buddha, in, in correct Buddhism, there's, you know, um, two things that we have to do in order to attain enlightenment. The first is we have to accumulate, you finish the, complete the accumulation of merit, like doing good stuff, being generous, being kind, etc. Um, but the other, and this is really where the, the sticking point is, like I think for, for these kind of people, is to complete the accumulation of wisdom, which means essentially, you know, having a proper meditation practice and Achieving the correct vision of the way, ultimately, you know, eventually by working on our our cognitive um, defilements, or the, the 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 things that are wrong with our like mind at a kind of root, fundamental level, by gradual. And of course, these things would go together. Like we, we, in order to to do that, we have to be generous. We have to be kind. We have to um, be respectful. We have to, you know, engage in virtue and refrain from non virtue. Um, and, and these things are mutually supporting, but the point is that, you know, there is no achievement of the result without the accumulation of wisdom, without seeing the nature of reality as it is fundamentally. Um, and, and that, you know, which, which is silly. I mean, this is again, like, so, so just to like highlight another, maybe this is beating a dead horse, but I think it's, it's different enough. It's worth kind of, um, pointing out. He says the notion of truth, quote unquote, truth is so entrenched in our discourse about religion and further reinforced by Buddhism's own account of its teaching, that you might find it hard, even threatening, to unlearn, like yeah, like, the problem is with yeah. you, you know, I mean, I, I really, somebody said like, I want to mash his early life. I, I, it sets off all the exact same alarm bells for me. Apparently he's Scottish, I don't know how many Levantine Scots there are or what the deal is there. There's something very Talmudic about his approach here. But anyway. Uh, Yet this unlearning is precisely what needs to be done if we are to make the shift from a belief-based Buddhism version 1.0 to a praxis-based Buddhism version 2.0. We have to train ourselves to the point where on hearing or reading a text from the canon, our initial response is no longer, is that true, but does this work? This is so ridiculous on its face. Anyone who has any degree of familiarity with the canon... Like
2: if it works, then it's true. Dumbass. Dumbass.
0: Like, yeah, it's just like the the idea that quote unquote Buddhism 1.0 isn't praxis based could only be made. That that claim could only be made by someone who's profoundly ignorant of Buddhism. Buddhism isn't nothing if not praxis based. Like I I, I don't even know what the claim I wanted to say before. Yes. I'm not even sure what he's talking about, and there's no justification, so I guess I'll just have to sit and wonder, like, what the fuck are you talking about?
3: Well, what is he
1: talking about? I think there is one sentence. I believe the Dharma might find itself condemned to an increasingly marginal existence in mainstream culture, catering only to those who are willing to embrace the the worldview of ancient India. Fine
0: good <laughs> good great yeah <laughs> fuck yeah, take, yeah your dra- you know,
3: take your drag queen story hour and shove it up your ass
2: <laughs> well said fuck yeah man absolutely
3: you know there's an, an analogous uh thing to uh like the way uh leftism has twisted christianity in the west i mean he's saying, essentially doing the same thing it's like look all this stuff about jesus being the son of god and heaven yeah, and the trinity exactly and all this right. stuff that who that's awfully hard to believe but it's really you know, about
0: jesus was drugs really, jesus was a great yeah, that's right. he, you know, he was a great yeah. man and he taught he said to love so make sure you love you know by by you yeah know. and look
3: at the results you get from that and you know you said something earlier dk about um you know you can't like end some try to end samsara here on earth through like you know like trying to like fix samsara or something you have to fix yourself there's an analogous thing in christianity too which is although you are meant to do good works and be kind and morally upright here on this earth the point is not to create heaven on earth right like no, that is you can't that, no. that's not up to you exactly that's the whole point it's not up to you it's a fallen world it's salvation through god and if they, i my christian friends are gonna i'm using the wrong terms but people get the thrust of what i'm saying well, it's
1: right the word, it's it's, it's pretty heaven funny heaven that out of this world
3: it's pretty funny that they want to
2: make heaven on earth by making everything like ugly and suck. Well, though, it's, it's, <laughs> hell. It's, it's hell.
3: Right. It's
0: hell on earth. Yeah, of, that's, why mean, satan-
3: think, that's why it's satanic.
0: That's why it's satanic. Like that's exactly theology. Right.
3: That's
1: the entire. It's the. It's the. It's the Christian version. Like the Christian version of this would be like liberation yeah. theology.
0: that's right. Which is really just that, satanic Marxism. It's,
3: it's satanic. It's it's inversion of values. As Kagyu was saying before, it's satanic. As Dharmakirti was saying, um, because even because you know, some people will deliberately use it to like fuck shit up and ruin people's lives or whatever. But the reason it's so insidious is because it takes people who have good instincts and good, you know, who want to do right stuff and everything. And it takes the soteriological worldview out of it so that even when they do quote unquote nice things like adopting Africans or whatever, it ends up having shitty results because, you know, because that's not the way the world works. That's not truth or as a would say quote truth
0: unquote well as i yeah right uh yeah no that's that that's uh, that's exactly right i i wanted are you guys there
1: i am yeah, yeah okay
0: i just want to make sure um we, we're running a little long and i didn't want to go too much but i i think we would be remiss if we didn't at least i mean we kind of made an oblique reference but i don't people would be like what the what and uh yeah he has this basically where he where he ends up with this and we should just you know it doesn't really deserve any kind of detailed analysis cuz it's just so wacky uh but he he says basically that um, once deprived of the epithet noble truth and no longer phrased in propositional language, which, which again, this is his own imputation, like this idea that you know truth is a proposition that would you know blah blah blah. Like this is just the la- this is the language of twentieth century Anglo-American analytic philosophy. This is, these are not categories that make any sense in terms of like classical Buddhist discourse. Just to emphasize that again, but he says we arrive at the four keystones on which both Buddhism 1.0 and Buddhism 2.0 are erected. Just as there are four nucleobases, uh, cytosine, guanine, adenine, and thymine that make up DNA, the nucleic acid that contains the genetic instructions for all living organisms, one might say that suffering, arising, ceasing, and path are the four nucleobases that make up the Dharma, the body of instructive <laughs> ideas, values, and practices that give rise to all forms of Buddhism. I mean, it uh, and like, well, and that Buddhist name? That. Albert Einstein. <laughs> 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 it's. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone claps. yeah I, I just like what do you even do with that I, I there's not really i i just kind of wanted to highlight for our listening audience just how silly this this thing fundamentally is uh and and yeah like the, i think you're exactly right you know i did or when you were saying like you know fundamentally rhetorically what he's doing is like smart people like computer smart people like biology look DNA. i can make buddhism Life. like computer biology
2: like, like like the reverse Stephen bachelor would be like um the four noble truths are kind of like feet and breasts and,
1: <laughs> and butts and pussies <laughs>
0: yeah uh you're welcome <laughs>
2: i do i do want to bring it back to a serious note before Please. we go yeah whenever whenever you guys are ready to go. no
0: that's i mean whenever no, I, I just wanted to say like i mean what do you even I, if you guys have any thoughts on that or you want to say something about what he says about that you i know, i, do I not. feel like i have a, I have yeah. a bad habit of repeating myself
3: on this show so but at the risk of doing it i i just want to say something we were saying earlier one more time which is that i what bothers me so much about this stuff is that i it it gets people to take serious stuff not seriously in in it takes on this guise of seriously engaging with with an important tradition, what I believe is the, the true a true tradition, right? Um, and it gives people the impression of having engaged it on a serious level, um, and then allows them to set it aside. It almost encourages you, like the the text almost leads you from, hey, you're interested in these things. Here's a serious discussion of them, and leads you by the hand to the end point without ever actually saying it explicitly that and therefore you don't need to think about these things and you don't need to worry about them and to me that is the worst kind of intellectual dishonesty that's all i wanted to say
2: real talk all right well if y'all are ready
0: yeah you <laughs> so got a koan for I us
2: yeah i'm gonna read this koan um before i do i just want to say that we've been joking around and stuff but you're gonna die and one day and before you do you should try to know yourself directly with no mediator without the use of images um, so here's the case joshua nansen <clears throat> joshua asked nansen what is the way nansen answered your ordinary mind that is the way joshua responded does it go in any particular direction nansen said the more you seek after it the more it runs away joshua said then how can you know it's the way nansen replied The way does not belong to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is an illusion. Not knowing is a lack of discrimination. When you get to this unperplexed way, it is like the vastness of space, an unfathomable void. So how can it be this or that, or yes or no? Upon hearing this, Joshua came suddenly to enlightenment. He composed a verse to commemorate the occasion. Spring flowers, the moon in autumn, the cool wind of summer, and then winter snow. If your mind is not clouded with unnecessary things, this is the happiness in human life.
0: That's just like metaphysical beliefs, man. You're just like making propositional truth statements about... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... yeah. I... <laughs> I, uh, anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for participating. I think this has been great. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and I appreciate you guys for, for coming out. Anyone has any questions or anything, or any comments, whatever... Um, Uh, Please feel free to shoot me an email. Also, we we occasionally get um, questions about whether or not we would... You know, people want to make some kind of contribution or donation. Uh, I... I, uh, This is a very touchy topic, and uh, at the moment there is no way, and we are not in the future seeing... You know, we're not necessarily going to set that up because we we do this as a labor of love, as as something that we try to do, you know, for the benefit of all sentient beings. But... um, We'll, we'll continue to discuss that. And in the meantime, just please, I want everyone to know that, that we very much appreciate those offers. Uh, thank you again. We will see you next time.